If you weren't here last week to hear the announcement that we were going to do Leviticus this week, and then you showed up this week, I'm very sorry that you thought, well, I thought we were still in Psalm 23, the most beloved passage in all of the Bible. How does a preacher not have the sense not to put something fun in between Psalm 23 and Leviticus? This is just a step off the curb, and the curb's like three stories up. Leviticus, if you, are a, uh, if you aren't even a student of the Bible, you don't even know anything about the Bible, you don't know anything, who, who was Galatians written to, you just don't know that stuff, and you, don't know, you don't even know the books of the Bible. But someone can walk up to somebody on the street who knows nothing about the Bible and says, I'm going to read to you from Leviticus. They would say, no thank you. Everyone knows that Leviticus is the one that for some reason it gets the bad rap. It's the one that people hear and think, oh dear, we're talking about Leviticus? I mean, it has the word cuss right in it. Just built into the end. It's, a, it's, not a, it's, not, it's not something that you hear in church and think, oh good, inspiring. But it is, there are elements of it that are inspiring. There are also elements of Leviticus that lended its bad reputation. Where they are, they are going on and on about which insects not to eat. Here's a hint. All of them. You can't eat any insects. Uh, but Leviticus makes sure that you don't find any loopholes in the insect eating part of your religion. There, and, and listen, Leviticus has also been used as a, as a rod just to whack people over the head. That's the, that's the script, that's the place we go to whenever we have these things that we don't like, like long hair. Well, the Bible says, when people say the Bible says about long hair, or when the Bible says about, about tattoos, it's in Leviticus. It's actually Leviticus 19, it's a long chapter. Leviticus 19.28 says, do not make any cuts or any marks on your body. Leviticus 19.19 says, do not, um, do not blend fabrics. Which one of those are we going to hold up? <laughs> so next time someone makes fun of you for your half sleeve, tell them their half and half sleeve is sin too. <laughs> Cotton polyester blends are not okay with the Lord. In some people's books. But listen, if you're going to go back there and mine Leviticus for your own personal agendas, you might want to stick tr- stay true to all of it. Rare meat? Can't, if, if, you, if you're going by Leviticus, you go to Outback Steakhouse or someplace nicer, which I can't imagine a nicer place, some nicer steakhouse, you, I mean, it is well, medium well at the very least. That's in Leviticus. You can't eat your meat with any red in it. I'm out. Now, I don't have any tattoos that I'm aware of. Not yet. Yeah. Is that a threat, Eddie? Uh, there, um, uh, people threaten me with tattoos. I get thrown off. There's, so I don't have any tattoos, but I love cotton polyester blend and a medium steak. What are we gonna? We're gonna mine Leviticus, and the reason we mine Leviticus is we would like to throw things at someone. No one mi- like ruffles through the pages of Leviticus to make sure that they're sinning. It's always that other people are sinning. I don't care about other people sinning. Let's stop beating other people over the head with it. 
typically Leviticus has been used in that way. So as soon as we hear the word, we think, oh, this is not going to be good at all. And oftentimes we're right. You get into Leviticus and oftentimes the way it's used, it's not good. It's not healthy and it's not helpful. We'll be in Leviticus chapter 1 today, verse 1, and then I'm going to hurriedly jump to other passages. Leviticus chapter 1 reads like this. Well, we'll get to the tabernacle in a second. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Now, this is, this is a, um, a scene that sets up the rest of the book of Leviticus, in which the Lord calls to Moses and says, Okay, come here, I've got some things for you. And it's reminiscent of the scene on Mount Sinai where uh, Moses goes to God and he says, uh, he says come here, these are the commands. Uh, these are no other gods before me. You should have no, um, no, no, no idols. Don't use my name in vain. Keep the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Uh, do not cover your, covet your neighbor's donkey. And do not lie about him in court. I got him out of order, but don't mess with me. And at that point, I feel like Moses is like, all right, I've got all those. The Ten Commandments, thank you. And God's like, no, there's 12 more chapters of this that you're going to have to write down. Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments, but Exodus 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, and 31 are other commandments. And then 32, I think commandments would have kept going, except they built a golden calf. And God said, well, okay, put those down. I'm going to kill everybody. And Moses says, that's not a good idea. And God says, good point. Uh, Well, just kill some of them. Moses says, okay. And so we got these commandments, these laws that are are given, and sometimes it seems excessive. But the beginning of this whole scenario, this uh, this whole book, is God calling Moses to the tent of meeting, to the tabernacle. That's That's the word you've heard probably if you've, kind of gone through the Old Testament here, tabernacle, tabernacle, tabernacle. Um, It's a very fun word to say. Don't try it now, later. But it's a fun word to say, but newer translations have changed that to tent of meeting. Basically, it means a dwelling place. A place where God dwells. So God calls Moses to this place to experience God's word in that there's a place where you get to meet God, God's in that place, the tent of meeting. Now this all backs up to, um, sometimes the way we read our Bible is kind of screwy. and Let me tell you why. Um, The way we read our Bible sometimes assumes that we believe that the Bible was written like this. Like Moses said, all right, Leviticus. This one's going to be rough. Chapter 1, verse 1. Then the Lord called, verse 2. Then Leviticus is like this beginning. It's it's a new book of the Bible. But you forget that Genesis runs into Exodus, and Exodus runs even more smoothly into Leviticus. Look at the last couple of verses of Exodus. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of the Israelites during all their travels. So they, they come out of Egypt, and Egypt is a place where the king represents the God. And so the king isn't God, but he represents God, and the king has all the wealth, and the, the, the people are, are pretty much nothing, especially the Israelite people. They were slaves. And God brings them up out of Egypt and doesn't just rule them from a mountain on high, but he dwells among the people. There is a tent. He has a tent. And any time he wants them to move, the cloud lifts up off the tent and moves to where they need to go. The cloud gets up and leaves. And everyone says, well, pack up the tent. And they get the Ark of the Covenant and they walk out. And they march out to wherever God moves them. And God is in the camp. God is among the people. The book of Leviticus is just an answer to one question. What changes about your camp when the God, the Creator, is in it? What changes about your life when God sets up residence in your camp? And if you read the book of Leviticus, everything, everything changes. If you've got a spot on your bald head, there's a Leviticus verse for that. If you've got mildew on your wall, there's a Leviticus verse for that. If you get a rash, there's a verse in Leviticus for that. If you want to eat something or marry someone or marry something, there's a verse in Leviticus for that. There's verses for everything in Leviticus. Because God says, when I am in your camp, when I take up residence in your place, everything's got to change. Everything has got to change. So when God rules, He makes changes. What's really embarrassing is when Christians, and when us Christians decide that, well, God's ruling our life. Well, who makes all the decisions? Well, I do. Does everything you decide benefit you? Of course it does. God's not ruling. The book of Leviticus says that if God's in the camp, everything must shift, must change, must look differently. You've got to remember, these people, the people God's working with at that point had been slaves just as long as the United States has been a country. So, give you some perspective. They, they had been slaves a long time. That's the only thing they knew. All they knew is that you're a slave. And that my grandkids are going to be slaves, and my grand, just like my grandparents were slaves. They'd been slaves, enslaved a long time, and God set them free, and now he's got some work to do on them as a people. Their whole life was now changing. 
What's interesting about this is that this whole tabernacle idea, this place where God dwells. If, if you just ask anybody, just, just grab people on the street. I don't know why I'm grabbing a whole lot of people on the street in this sermon, but it, it's happened twice so far. You just grab somebody on the street and you say, where's God? Maybe not, maybe not that crazy sounding. Maybe politely. What do you think God is? Well, I don't know. Just, most of them would say the sky, right? So glad Clara's in children's shirts so I can tell the story. Uh, the other day Clara said to me, Daddy, someday we're just going to get a blanket outside and pack a picnic, get some snacks, put them in a basket, go out outside, set the blanket, sit down on the blanket and just bow down to the sun. I didn't see that last line coming. I said, why do you, why do you, why do you want to bow down to the sun? Because that's where God lives. Well, that's getting, it's getting better, but still kind of broken. Like our belief system is often that God is elsewhere. Even if we're following him, he's elsewhere ruling on a mountain or in a cl- on the clouds. Every image we have of him is on some cloud where he's up there ruling up there. But God's way of interacting with his people is not from a distance. Remember that song? From a distance. God's watching us from a distance. Like a stalker with a telescope. I don't think those are the words, but it's close. It feels so weird. God's, God's watching us. Like Santa Claus, just in the like so, in some far off place, making sure we do the right things and not the wrong things, so that if we do the right things, we get a good thing, and if we do the wrong things, we get a bad thing. And the bad thing involves coal. Charcoal, that's a joke. But we've set God up to be this glorified Santa Claus where he's off in a distance, kind of gauging things and judging from a distance. But the way God has always operated in the garden and with Abraham, in the garden he's walking in the cool of the day, finding his friends. With Abraham he shows up at the tent and has a meal with him. With with the Israelites he he comes up into a burning bush and has a discussion with Moses. He brings Moses out of the... Out of, and the people out of Israel, and he's on the mountain with them, right where they are. And God's, God's rule is always is never from afar, but always from a right in the presence. And here he sets up camp and he says, Here's the rules, and then he comes to the tent of meeting to give it to them. They have a tent where they meet God. The tabernacle is where they come to God. It's not a place some far off distance. We can go to God. There's something interesting that happens in the first part of the book of John. He says, this is how John talks about the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And the, uh, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Through, without him nothing was made that has been made. So God is the Creator. And this word, the word of God, is the thing that did the creating. That went off. 
My sermon just blacked out. All right. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So God's going to make himself present in the world. The true light is coming into the world, and the world's not going to recognize the light because the light is going to ask us to do things that we're not comfortable doing. Because we like doing things that comfort us. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here he's talking specifically about Jesus. Jesus is going to come into the world and all of those who receive Jesus are now children of God. We're not just uh, criminals who were on trial and God said not guilty. That's not the image God would hope that we would carry around. Sometimes we talk about the forgiveness of sins and we say, well, God's, God forgave us of our sins. He gave us a not guilty verdict. No, that's not what the Bible is trying to tell us. The Bible is trying to tell us that God adopted us. It's not just that he didn't make us go to prison. It's that he calls us children. That he brings us into his family. This isn't this, the court image in all of the Bible. The Bible does talk about court image. But the words it uses is not for a legal court, but for a family court. When God gives a ruling, it's for the, those who do not have a father to now have a father. So he said, we've been given the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and and dwelt among us. If you were to say this, if you were to translate this Greek into Hebrew, and then translate the Hebrew into English, like you would do on a Saturday, it it would read, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The same language is at play here. The Word became flesh and made its dwelling place among us, and its dwelling place was no longer a tent. We have seen His glory. Remember that language in Exodus? The glory of the Lord dwelt among them. We have seen the glory of Jesus. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, this... Jesus coming to earth isn't just about, well, he came to earth, he died on the cross, he, was going to, he saved us from our sins, and now we get to go to heaven if we're good. You, you remember, as a Jew, you got to go to heaven if you were good anyway. If you kept the law, guess what happened? You were resurrected. That's what they believed. See, Jesus came... And dwelt among us so that God could properly dwell among us. It's it's as if no one on play, on on stage, could play the part. So the writer, director, creator of the play stepped on stage himself. Because no other one could fulfill the role. What's fantastic about this first verse of Leviticus is it acknowledges just in passing something fantastic that's happening. 
And it's so subtle and so brief that we will miss it. And it's, and it's so recognized that our, our culture misses it. We believe that Jesus is God's son, that Jesus is the presence of God in, on earth, that he was flesh, but the word of God. If we believe that, what that means is that God has made his dwelling among us. That he doesn't operate from some far off place, that he operates right here and now. And then when we talk about Holy Spirit, what we're saying and what Jesus talked about, when Jesus talked about Holy Spirit, and if you look in John 14, 15, and 16, when he mentions Holy Spirit, what he's saying is, they say, well, we don't, we don't understand what you mean when you're going to say you're sending us a helper. He says, if, if you know me, you know the helper I'm going to send. If you know the helper, I'm going to send. You know the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. It's just this three things that are so close. What Jesus' Jesus's answer to what's the Holy Spirit is, I'll be with you. God with you. It's a continual, continual Emmanuel, God with us. It's a continual presence of Jesus. We are called to be the presence of God in this place because God has promised to be present with us. Talked about this a little bit in Bible class, but what was the purpose of the great giveaway? What was the goal? I sort of half-jokingly said in Bible class, the goal was to give away. And we did that. But in the end, the higher goal is to say that God has been made himself present with us, so we want to represent his presence to the community. Because where God goes, where God is, pain and brokenness and sorrow leave this is the way it was when jesus walked the earth remember you remember there's there's a story in mark where the uh there's a woman who wants to be healed she's been bleeding internally for for a dozen years and she just wants to be healed and so she 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 gets on her hands and knees and sneaks through a crowd and she says if i can just touch the hem of his garment I will be healed. She touches the hem of his garment. He's healed. Because where Jesus walked, Jesus was like a a tornado of God's presence. Wherever he went, God's will, God's kingdom was fully realized. And so when Jesus came into contact with people, they were healed. It's just what happened. When Jesus came into contact with brokenness, They're healed. It's just what happens because you can't take the kingdom of God and put it in a place and also leave in pain and sorrow. And the end of Revelation, whenever God's kingdom comes and invades and overcomes the kingdom of the world, when God rules, it says there is no more sea, which is a, a, a very Greek way of saying there's no more evil. There's no more evil. And he says God wipes away every tear from the, you notice it doesn't say God uh, sends a representative to wipe away every tear. God himself is present and wipes away. There's no more tears. There's no more sorrow. There's no more brokenness. There's no more hunger. There's no more poverty. There's no more cancer. There's no more diabetes. There's no more heart problems. God, when God reigns, brokenness is beaten. 
And what we are called to be is the presence of God. And we are tabernacles, every single one of us. Every single one of us are tents of meeting. Every single one of us are filled with the Spirit of God and called to live out that Spirit. So no longer is it a spirit of selfishness or no longer is it a spirit of, of just of brokenness. No longer is it a spirit of fear, but it is the Spirit of God that rules and takes up residence in this place. So you ask anyone on the street where God is, they're probably going to look up. It's some, he's, he's up somewhere. Sun, clouds, sky, there's escalators. Going up to God. But you ask us, you ask me, where God is, He's taken up a dwelling place in me. And he's taken up a dwelling place in you. You are not God. But God loves you enough to send his only son so that you might also find a dwelling or make a dwelling place for God. We are his tabernacle. So when God speaks to the world, he speaks to the world through us. Not through our opening our Bibles and griping about other people's tattoos, but he speaks to the world by the way we serve other people. By When someone sins, you know, like, not, not one of those good churchy sins, but a really bad sin, we love them and forgive them like God would love them and forgive them. They, people must find, at the tent of meeting, they must find the God who is truly God. The God that we actually worship the God who sent his son to make a to make a dwelling place on earth and turns out to make a dwelling place in us God is with us he is for us he works through us and the sooner we get on board with that the better off we'll be Sooner we get, I'm not, I'm not saying the sooner you get on board with that, the easier it will be. That's just flat not the truth. It won't be easier. It'll be better. We live in a culture that has often blurred the two lines between easier and better, and we think those are synonyms of each other, and that's just not true. The sooner we, we let ourselves be the place where God meets with the world, that they can see the love and grace and forgiveness and compassion and mercy and self-control that God has. They can see that in us. That's how you change the world. Not by lobbing scripture grenades into crowds, not by protesting. One of my favorite lines from one of my favorite comedians is, I'm against picketing, but I don't know how to show it. You may get that on the way home, some of you. The, um, it's, not, it's not by marching around with signs telling people they're wrong. It's by loving the people when they're wrong. And being God's presence to them when they're wrong. Because God 
John 3.16, all it's telling us is God was present with us when we were wrong. So we will be present with others when they are. God loved us when we were worthless. We will be present with others when they feel the same. But if you feel worthless or if you feel wrong or you feel broken or if you feel like you can't, you just can't compete with the pressures of the world. And you've been trying to do this on your own for a long time. And you want the presence of God in your life. It is a free gift. The creator of the universe wanted to be with you and he's just waiting for you to open the door as he knocks. You can join with him. You can unite with him. You can unite with God in the name of Jesus. You can unite. There's no hoops. There's no red tape. There's no forms. There's just a God who loves his people more than his people loved him. So if you want to respond to that, or maybe you've taken the presence of God and not lived it out, and you need prayers, or you need to repent, you, you just need something. We are here for you. We love you. We want you to know that this is a place where God is present. We are confident that he can be present with you too. Please come forward while we stand and sing.